0: Time and again, the world bears witness to truths seldom said. Lend an ear. We promise enlightened, informed conversation. My name is Robert, and this is Seldom Said, the place where conversation matters. Welcome back. The program is called Seldom Said. My name is Robert. This is the place where conversation matters. Special guest today, Mr. Chuck Kwan, the past chairperson of the Toronto Association for Democracy in China. Chuck, welcome to Seldom Said. Hello. It is our pleasure, I can assure you. I wonder if we can start with a bit of personal background, who you are, where you've been, and what's brought you to this time and place in your life.
1: Sure. Um, I was born in Hong Kong to parents who were native Hong Kongers. Uh, and of course, as you know, at that, at that time, um, Hong Kong in the 1950s uh, was uh, a British Crown Colony. I've grown up in Singapore, Hong Kong, Japan. uh, And I came to the US uh, for university. Uh, I spent seven years in the States. uh, And then in 1976, I immigrated to Canada and became a Canadian citizen. Uh, But in 1982, I uh, left Canada, I went back to Japan. Um, and also, I spent four years in Hong Kong between 85 and 89. Before coming back to Canada again. And it was at this time uh, in during 1989, the student movement and the protests at Tiananmen Square, um, that was brewing. And I had the fortunate chance to witness uh, this student movement uh, basically uh, in the front row seat. Although I wasn't in Tiananmen Square, but Hong Kong was close enough uh, to be linked to what's happening in China. Uh, We get uh, more news from China than anybody else. But of course, uh, because of our ethnicity, um, everyone in Hong Kong cares about Uh, What happened in China because although China is not really their country uh, They know we know that their parents come from there or they might have uh, escaped from there during the Cultural Revolution So everybody was very concerned about what's happening in in Tiananmen Square and elsewhere so um, It was during that time that uh, a lot of Hong Kong students organized uh, sort of a, a solidarity Effort to supply tents uh, for the students to, so that they can camp out in the square, and of course bringing food supplies and and, and funds uh, to help the students survive. And of course, um, uh, in a uh, from a perspective of uh, supporting the demonstration, we are. Uh, um, doing a million people march, a million and a half people march in Hong Kong to uh, come out and support weeks before the, the massacre. And obviously, um, we were all like the rest of the world. We were, uh, it, it went from hope to despair, uh, overnight when the tanks moved in and then crushed the, uh, the students, I still remember, um, uh, I Participated in those marches Uh, The one that I really remember well was a march that happened maybe a couple days after the massacre on around June 6 or 7 It was during a a typhoon um, and pouring rain and and wind blowing and There were maybe about 200,000 of us marching through the streets and we went by the the uh, the at that time was the agency uh, the Chinese agency who was responsible for Hong Kong. They had an office building uh, In the central district and we were so upset and so angry that we felt like kind of uh, you know rushing through the barricades and then and throwing stones and, and, and you know, basically vandalism to try to destroy this building because uh Uh, obviously, uh, we, we were all very, very upset. So that's what triggered me into, um, kind of thinking that, um, I should be doing something, uh, at that time I was uh, 40 years old. Um, so I thought, so when 89, when my wife and I, this after 89, when my wife and I decided to move back to Canada, um, I joined. Uh, the Toronto Association for Democracy in China, uh, which was started uh, by a bunch of friends of mine from, uh, from 10 years ago. So it was a very, very nice and smooth transition.
0: I had at one time had the pleasure of interviewing a participant in the Tiananmen demonstration, and she shared with me her feeling that perhaps it was irrational to overtly challenge such oppressive force she was of the opinion that perhaps a compromise could have been worked out. How would you respond to that uh, ideology, that opinion?
1: Uh, the students did make, a, uh, make an effort to reach out to the leadership. Um, first of all, let me put, put the whole thing into perspective. Uh, there, were peop- there were like a million people march, two million people march uh, down the streets of Beijing. And, of course, uh, about, in about 30 cities in, in, in around China. And they were so peaceful that one foreign commentator, uh, a French professor, actually said uh, last this last month in Taiwan that not a piece of broken glass was found during the, uh, I believe it was the 1.5 million people march. And uh, that was on April 27th. That was the day after the Chinese leadership had declared martial law and, and the, the students were branded as, uh, troublemakers and, 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 uh, disturbing the peace and all the stuff, uh, that was when it triggered about a million Beijing citizens who came out, ordinary citizens who came out, they have nothing to do with the students at, at the square, but they came out to support the students so in that sense it shows you how peaceful it was but also how much support um, the ordinary citizens have for their grievances uh all they were looking for was end to corruption and a political reform um that was much needed uh, after the 80s when at that time premier deng xiaoping declared an open China and become, uh, you know, trading and and starting to modernize. But they felt that there was inequality and there was uh, obviously a a suppression of freedom of expression. So they thought, okay, you know, let's let's ask for these. These are not really um, they are not overthrowing the government. They're obeying the constitution of the communist China. So there's nothing wrong. There's a it's a regular political process other than the fact that because China was and still is authoritarian, um, they the only way they could get their grievances heard is uh, by marching and, and protesting in the square. Uh, so I, I, I disagree with this person. I, I, I think they did make a, make a uh, um, effort. In fact, uh, one of the student leader, um Wu Kai-shi, uh had uh got invited to meet with the uh premier Li Peng uh in the presidential palace at that time uh but Li Peng was very dismissive he was saying that you know you you guys have no 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 right to be doing this and all this stuff and that really really sent Cassum um uh, between the students and and, and the uh, and the leadership and also that was probably the time then the the chinese government uh, has been plotting to send their tanks in, uh, to um, crush the uh, peaceful protests which led to the massacre so I, I think i think the students were all ready to reach out but they were never listen to it
0: knowing what you know now chuck and seeing how terribly tragic this all ended Mm -hmm. if you were a student leader in the square Mm -hmm. speaking of today how would you advise the following
1: um i would still do the same thing i i know i've been in touch with um many of the student leaders at that time um and I've always have been talking to them past 30 years about, you know, how they feel and so forth. And none of them have any regret. The only regret they might have, uh, was that, uh, perhaps they could re- retreat a little bit earlier, uh, to prevent the bloodshed. But then, you know, you look at an, any revolution and any uh, sort of thought, pro- Progress in the society, um, there had to be a certain, how should I say, sacrifice to be made by those who are oppressed, and and if if there are two thoughts to this, one is that if we you know pull out and and fight uh, to live to fight for another day, that's certainly a very very rational decision, but however, with that get you anywhere um for the next 30 years we don't know and that's all speculation and and a lot of people are either way is that well uh might be irrational but at least uh we can sacrifice a uh you know a few thousand people bloodshed and whatnot at least the message is conveyed uh, if not to china at least to the world and and look at what's happening right now 30 years later everybody Around the world is very aware of what happened in Tiananmen Square. Now, I imagine if they would retreat; the whole thing would blow away. It would stop appearing at CNN, and uh, nobody would know anything more about it. Uh, and the China, Chinese government will be more, even more, uh, you know, intended intense effort to to keep the country together and to be more suppressive.
0: Mao himself postulated that a revolution was not a tea party. Are you saying, Chuck, that of necessity there had to be violence?
1: I I think so. I'm not saying that we should be the cause, uh, the the protesters should be the cause of violence, but uh, you you will be met with violence if you sometimes stick to your principle and stick to your gun, which is what's happening in Hong Kong right now. Uh, you know, just digress a little bit. What's happening in Hong Kong was that the the students were all very peaceful and the first few marches, um, they were not even storming the barricade, but the police decided to use tear gas and and pepper spray to beat down the students, uh, which caused a, a, a certain radical, more, more, more extreme elements of it, of people, uh, including forced suicides. Uh, who left suicide notes saying that I'm, I'm giving myself to the to the cause, uh, and of course, including the um, the storming of the legislature and being charged of vandalism and you know this the uh, Certainly, we l- nobody condones that, but there are certain points in in any protest movement, any 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 progress progress um, towards say democracy that there needs to be some sort of, um, uh, sacrifice made by people, perhaps years in jail, uh, perhaps bloodshed. Uh, but I, am not discounting that. I, I think, um, that's in a sense, history has taught us that too. Uh, there are very, very few, uh, even peaceful movements. like back in, uh, if you think of Václav in Czechoslovakia, I mean, there was a peaceful transition. Uh, when Gorbachev let you do it. However, where did Gorbachev learn that lesson? Gorbachev was in Beijing, uh, a month before the crackdown and he saw it with his own eyes, a million people in the square protesting. Uh, it was an embarrassing moment for the Chinese government, but, but Gorbachev was young enough to know that this is not the way I want to go down with my, uh, Eastern European, uh, uh coalition. And that's why you had the fall of the Berlin Wall. And that's why you had the Krasnod and all the stuff. Just, and that's exactly what Gorbachev learned from, from Lesson. And so in that sense, uh, Tiananmen Square had, had also had a bigger impact as well in Eastern Europe. So back to Czechoslovakia, you had a peaceful transition. You have a peaceful revolution. Uh, however, did anybody remember what happened in 1968 when the tanks came in? Um, I don't know how many were kill, but certainly there was a big suppression uh, from the Russian tanks moving into Prague and and basically taking over uh Czechoslovakia. so you know in any kind of movement, there's always somehow preceded by some bloodshed. I'm not saying that I advocate for bloodshed, but I'm, I'm saying that sometimes some sacrifice had to be made by those who are oppressed.
0: I've spoken to a number of people who postulate that there are nonviolent ways to handle such circumstances. I'm not entirely sure that I totally acquiesce and agree with them. But when one speaks of Czechoslovakia, for instance, in '68, as you mentioned, Vaclav Havel, Alexander Dubcek, do you feel that there is any rational cause that would come to fruition? Through the use of nonviolent demonstration, the Gandhi esque type of approach, Martin Luther King type of approach in the United States. Now, I grant you, India is dealing with England, not the People's Republic, and Dr. King is dealing with the United States government. Do you feel that it's irrational and naive for anyone to present such an ideology?
1: As a, a nonviolent methodology,
0: as a methodology to bring about social and political change.
1: I, I, you know, I mean, we all would love to have a nonviolent struggle uh, for independence, for freedom of expression, for democracy. Uh, and you mentioned quite correctly, England and the U.S. are democracies; they are not authoritarian rule. Uh the only way you can get a an authoritarian uh government to change its heart is through internal conflict and internal palatial fights, uh palace intrigue if you were. And so that uh Gorbachev is a good Good way to do that. Uh, he he saw what happened. He realized that uh, this cannot go on. I better let go of my grip. Um, there were big, huge fight, internal, internal factional fight uh, within the Chinese government, Chinese leadership at that time. Zhao Ziyang is uh, is a victim. Uh, he was the premier at that time. He went to the square and told uh, the students and in tears saying, I came too late, I came too late. Uh, but by that time, uh, the other faction, uh, the more, um, the, the, Deng Xiaoping and the Li Peng faction, uh, the more, uh, right wing faction, deep and, um, um, kind of, uh, decide that they will kick him out. So, mm-hmm. Zhao Jiang lost the battle. Uh, and he spent his rest of his life under house arrest uh, so that's a you know if you want to say what can we change yes i I think a nonviolent student protest will lead to a an internal fight uh, within the leadership as to what to do with these students and that was all this students were looking for as well however, uh they were a little bit more ambitious. They were hoping that the progressive side will, will win over and hopefully start negotiating with us uh, with with the students and started letting uh, you know allowing reform reform to come into the country bit by bit. Uh, they were not looking for much. They were they were not revolutionary. They were not going to overturn the government. They were saying let's do political reform bit by bit. Let's cut down corruption bit by bit. That those are very very reasonable um you know demands and the fact that they were met tanks is a symptom of not because they were thinking of sacrificing themselves but because the leadership refused to budge, and that's the uh, refused to vouch and that's the kind of thing that uh inevitably when you are you know up against an authoritarian regime uh that's what you will end up and it, 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 I hate to say this, it, it sometimes may be necessary. I mean, this is something that, uh, uh, you know, we're not fighting a, 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 um, a democracy. We're fighting a, a, a dictatorship.
0: Mikhail Gorbachev uh, was asked by a reporter after seeing the students in the square what his opinion was. And he said they have their rights. They have the right to protest. Everyone worldwide virtually said that. Everyone had empathy at distance, but there wasn't really anything substantive that was done. Do you feel that the world could have done more for the students?
1: I I think the world had done... Um, I mean, there was nothing much else the world could have done. Um, the best thing that happened with Tiananmen Square was the... Um, uh, the existence of uh, cable news, the fact that CNN was able to broadcast, you know, every hour from Beijing was uh, a big plus in terms of spreading the, the message and the hope and the movement, uh, to the rest of the world. So I think, you know, if you call, if you call on anybody right now, at my age, 60, 65, 66, uh, everybody could tell you that, oh, I was watching, um, the, uh, massacre on TV or life on TV and so forth. Uh, this is a, a, one of these moments, the world or the whole world share. Now, of course, um, the whole world, uh, is quickly forgetting because China being what it is, uh, is demanding that you forget about what happened 30 years ago. Uh, and this is why, this is what brings me to the Toronto Association for Democracy in China. We were established um, about a, uh, a few weeks before the massacre uh, to support the people, the students of Beijing. And then after that, we became an NGO uh, and a human rights organization uh, determined to not only fight uh, for democracy and human rights in China, but also to keep the memory alive. We know that uh, um, only by keeping the memory alive, uh, only that that we do not forget, can we um, try to bring about change in China.
0: The present uh, Russian leadership, recently through its leader Vladimir Putin, took the position that liberalism is dead that the Western liberal idea of democratization mm-hmm. is for the past and belongs on the ash heap of history. Are you an optimist, Chuck, when you deal with what is happening and what did happen?
1: Well, I'm I'm uh, 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 optimistic in the long term. However, I'm I'm not too optimistic right now with what's happening in China uh, vis-a-vis. What's happening in Hong Kong and what has what happening in Xinjiang with the Uyghurs? Uh, I'm not happy with what's happening with Putin. And of course I don't think anybody is very happy with what's happening with your president in the u.s so it, it's a it's a sense of a, 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 a Rise of the right-wing um, Cartel if you will um, That to me uh, that is I'm I'm pessimistic about that too. That as well, but often long term wise, optimistically, uh, we have a lot to be thankful for. And look at what we have done uh, for thirty years: uh, struggle to keep the hope alive. And and uh, we are to this day at least. Uh, people are paying pay more, uh, paying closer attention to what's happening in China. At, at least uh, Tiananmen Square has not only brought out the um, kind of worrisome aspects of the Chinese society, but also um, to ensure that uh, China remains uh, in, in the topic of discussion in the Western world.
0: At the beginning of our discussion, you took the position that, as a kind of offhanded remark, where in Hong Kong, China was not our country, we were watching at distance, China recently has had difficulties in Zengkang province, Mm -hmm. historical difficulties with uh, the Dalai Lama's government in Tibet. Mm -hmm. In point of fact, do the students of Hong Kong consider themselves to be part of the mainland and the wider culture, or do you feel that the city itself is becoming a nation in and of itself?
1: I think that... It's a generational change. I think that the, the territory has become a nation unto itself. Um, if you look at the age, average age of the protesters, um, I would say, I, I hasten to guess it would be about 35, uh, 25 age. The The major elements of this, this protest this time uh, versus the umbrella movement five years ago was that these are led by 18 to 22-year-olds, um, they have a m- wonderfully mastered the art of leaderless uh, movements where uh, they, they hide the identity, uh, they use cash to go transit, they don't let the government and they use uh, social media that are uh, encrypted and not your Facebook, not your WhatsApp, uh, because they know that uh, WhatsApp and, and Facebook are, are monitored by the Chinese government so uh, they are very, very smart this way and and because uh, many of them were born even after 1997, the handover from Hong Kong to China so they know nothing about um, what happened before but all they know is that they want to be a Hong Konger and not A Chinese. Um, In that sense, there's a big identity issue here. And I would say that's very, very generational, uh, and may even made more aware uh, than five years ago. Um, Just to contrast five years ago, um, the Hong Kong citizen occupied Central and a, a lot of the areas in Hong Kong for 97 days three months of occupation with tents blocking the main thoroughfare um you know it's like having tents at, uh, on fifth avenue for example in new york so uh so it it caused a lot of disruption um however the government did not back down and after a while um the uh uh the the citizens of Hong Kong were were being a little bit fed up because the commute would have been you know uh, you know blocked and so forth. So at that time they did not have a lot of sympathy empathy from those who were not protesting. Uh, and also the, a major point is that they were protesting against a a. Um, they w- they, w- they wanted a direct election a uh, universal suffrage of hong kong people to directly elect their chief executive who is now Kerry lam uh, that to to a lot of people is a little bit uh, more abstract uh than what's happening right now what's happening this time is that they're protesting against the extradition treaty that gives Hong Kong police the power to arrest anyone that China wants them to arrest and send back to China for trial and for possibly punishment. And you can just imagine because China does not have a uh, a fair judiciary, much less uh, China is of uh, has habitually trump up charges of anything they, they want if they don't like what you're doing even like if you don't sing the national anthem correctly or you trample upon the chinese flag for example those are crimes of the state that uh, any hong kong person can be whisked back into china and face the chinese judicial system so this is something that is very Dear to the people, like it, it, it's really, really hitting home to the uh, six and a half million population in, in Hong Kong, and that's why the young people these days um, they have been uh, they they had the awareness was raised five years ago uh, with with the umbrella movement. Now they decided to take things in their hands and say, look. We are we are Hong Kong, and we no longer believe that China has any right over us. And we need to have our freedom of expression. We need to live free from the laws of China. And that's why they're out there to protest. And that's why this time they're soliciting a huge de- demonstration of many, up to two million people one time, uh, because uh, the, the topic is very dear to the Hong Kong people.
0: Do you feel, Chuck, that the extradition treaty is just a prelude to an attempt by the mainland government to simply eliminate Hong Kong's sovereignty?
1: Yes. Uh, That has always been in the plan. Um, uh, As you know, in 1997, when Hong Kong was handed over back to China, uh, the agreement uh, between the Chinese government and Margaret Thatcher at that time uh, the British prime minister was that, uh, Hong Kong will have 50 years of transition period. Uh, in at, at the time, uh, the 50 years, it will have one country, two systems, meaning that Hong Kong, other than military, other than, uh, uh, uh national security, Hong Kong would have the freedom to, uh, you know, maintain the borders. Uh, in, in immigration and, and giving out visas, independent of what China is doing, and of course, uh, self-government. Um, however, those of us who at that times have, uh, you know, the, the excuse was that that in fifty years the rest of China will will catch up to Hong Kong, so we would have a very peaceful transition after fifty years of. Uh, you know, merging into a uh, the, the, the two territories, kind of merging into each other uh, culturally, politically, and economically. Um, but those of us who are aware of what's happening uh, inside China knew that that was a pretext. Um, what they really want, if you deep down, you can say that they don't care about Hong Kong. They want Shanghai to be the next Hong Kong. They they can abandon Hong Kong. It doesn't matter anymore to them because uh, China by this time has established, uh, after Tiananmen Square, has established enough clout and becoming the second superpower right now that Western nations have to kowtow to China and not the other way around. So China can now dictate what they want. If they say, well, forget about putting your banking headquarters in, in, in Hong Kong. Put it in Shanghai. That's what they're trying to do right now, to make Shanghai the next Hong Kong, uh, in terms of economic sense. And Hong Kong, to them, is uh, a nuisance. Uh, Six million people are nuisance. Just like Taiwan is, have been, uh, all this history of China right now. Uh, as you know, China always wanted to take back Taiwan. and And uh, they've been using threats, they're using military uh, threats as well. Uh, and Taiwan has been living for the last 60 years, 70 years in a kind of a, a balance, a very fine balance of be- maintaining the nationhood and yet uh, being forced to recognize that they are part of China. So, you know, how, how we juggle that, how they juggle that is, is actually uh, quite uh, another story. But that, no doubt, Hong Kong, Uh, China is intended to take over Hong Kong, Macau, and Taiwan completely, as they have done with Tibet and Xinjiang.
0: I must digress for a moment and ask, uh, in passing, you mentioned that there was somewhat of a disappointment in regard to the activities of the United States and its government. What do you feel America should be to the world, expressly to a student on the streets of Hong Kong today? And what do you feel it is not doing?
1: Are you talking about a very general uh, situation vis-a-vis the leadership of the US?
0: We can speak in generalities, but yeah. if you were to yeah. wish to, are there expressly points of interest and positive natures that could be formulated as policy that would be more assisting to the democracy movements in China are there things the American government should be doing that it is not?
1: Uh, in generality, I, I think, you know, back 30 years ago, everybody looked up to America. I mean, I, I would hasten to say, you know, even back three or four years ago, everybody looked up to America uh, in, in a sense of this is what they aspire to be. Uh, look at the way the Tiananmen students put up the uh, Goddess of Democracy, which is an replica of the Statue of Liberty. They call it the Goddess of Democracy, but it is in fact uh, borrowed, straight copy, straight out of the Statue of Liberty. Uh, and I know that uh, you know in Hong Kong, uh, people aspire to be. Um, to be, to be where America is. So I think, uh, in many ways, the last, you know, three or four years, America has lost its leadership, um, in the world. And as a result, the influence is, is now less so, um, in, in, especially in China, in China, um, (coughs) with with respect to um what's happening in uh, in um in hong kong and, and and china i think there's not much you can do um in in a very detailed way but there's always something that america can do well that is to to exert an influence on chinese leadership unfortunately we are now tied down to tariffs and and blocking high-tech sales and so forth to the nitty-gritty of trade we're no longer uh working on the area of i mean we should work on the trade area but i think i think we have to have a balanced approach You, you know not only do you want to needle china on the trade but also you need to take up a leadership and say to have enough moral leadership to tell the chinese leadership leaders that you should not be doing this uh, and this is the message that we've been giving, uh, to anyone who listen is that, um, uh, that to be a superpower, China needs to also have the twin foundation of human rights and democracy and the rule of law, um, to, to back, back up what they have built. So without those, I think, uh, the house of cards will fall. And so I think we need that message. Kind of enforced by by people like the the u.s. And the and the european union uh, Unfortunately, I don't think the u.s. Is right now in the leadership in the moral leadership role in, in this way and 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 chinese government can now point to us as the big um, Evil uh, Among the populace I mean in the 80s uh, when China is opening up, when Deng Xiaoping came to Texas and wore his cowboy hat, um, um, you know, China looked to the U.S. They say that's where we want to be. We want to be a superpower. We want to be like like them. And and the the population of China wants to be like that too. They they all want to come to the states and go to Harvard and Yale um and uh and 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 study and and maybe go back and help the country this is what happened with people like liu Xiaobo and uh ai wei and all these uh, artists and writers they all came out in the 80s uh to live and w- work and study in the states um and but china can no uh, people in china now no, no longer trust um, the america um, america partially is brainwashing by the chinese government but partially they can see that uh all u.s doing is needling on this tariffs here tariffs there they're not providing kind of the moral leadership that the the the, that that gives them any uh, hope or aspiration that they should go go after
0: there is a statement attributed to martin luther In a speech he made before the Office of Authority in Europe in 1517, he took the position that here I stand, I can do no other. There have been brave men throughout history who have taken stands that seem hopeless. Liu Bo was perhaps such an individual. Can you, for the listening audience and those who are not aware of who he was and (coughs) is, who is Liu Bo?
1: Lu Xiaobo was a writer, uh, a, uh, literary critic, uh, and all around intellectual, um, he came to, he spent a few years in the States, uh, in a few universities, at, in terms of, uh, a research fellowship. He was at the Columbia for a year or so. And as I mentioned, it was the generation right after the 1980s, beginning of, begin to mid 1980s, uh, about four years before the Tiananmen uh, Square massacre, that a lot of people from China, a lot of intellectuals, a lot of artists, filmmakers, uh, well-known filmmakers, uh, they, they were in New York, for example, or Paris or Berlin. Uh, they all went outside, um, to learn from the West. And because that's where you go. And Liu Xiaobo came here, uh, I, I believe, on, on a either a, 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 uh, a research fellowship uh, from Columbia, and he spent uh, at a couple other institution in the states um, before he was drawn back to China because of the uh, Tiananmen Square protest. I think he arrived, uh, back in around May, uh, back to, uh, China in 1989 to support the students, to give, to give them the kind of, uh, um, um, in a sense, moral center, uh, because he's, uh, older than those 22 year old, uh, students from Beijing. Um uh, so in that he felt that he had a duty, um. To go back and, and and serve the country and 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 provide uh, some sort of uh, moral leadership. The same thing with uh, Ai Weiwei, uh, the famous artist. Uh, he spent he spent I think about seven years in, in, in New York, in galleries and painting and so forth. He came he went back to China right after Tiananmen Square uh, because he thought that he could be he wanted to be back back there, and and so. Uh, and Liu Xiaobo continued to write, and uh, and as uh, often a critic of China, uh, his most daring uh, thing to do was uh, in 2008. He uh, he instituted the he, he founded the Charter 08. This is after Vaklov's uh, uh, Charter 77, uh, in which he there was a manifesto. And he had about four or 500 intellectuals all signing to this manifesto, again, asking for the same thing of what the students were asking for uh, uh, 10 years ago, basically uh, political reform, uh, anti-corruption and, 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 and the liberation of, of uh, freedom of thoughts and, and, and so forth. So he was a human rights fighter, human rights activist. In 2000, uh, late 2008, I think it was December 25th, uh, I still remember the date because I was uh, tra- so traveling somewhere and I got a call uh, uh, from the media. He was arrested and then later sentenced to, uh, in a few days, he was sentenced to 13-year hard labor- uh, of prison sentences. Um, so he was in jail after 2008 because of his manifesto that he so openly declared. Um, A lot of people might have signed with uh, pseudonym, but I think uh, a lot of people signed with their real names. And I'm not sure what happened to those people who signed, but certainly he was the leader and he got put in jail in 2008. And of course, in uh, 2010, he was awarded the Nobel uh, Peace Prize at that time. Uh, He was in prison, and China refused to let him go to Oslo to receive the prize. Hence, the uh, Nobel Peace Prize Committee put an empty chair on stage to denote the absence of the uh, award winner.
0: The empty chair carries almost a poetic significance. Liu Xiaopo took positions that in one's mind, any rational human being, one's mind would say that he is, it's not simply that he was, his ideas live on. What is the Toronto Association doing to keep those ideas from not percolating, not changing people's opinions throughout the world, especially in regard to the sculpture that is rather unique?
1: Mm-hmm. Um. Just to go back uh, a little bit about what we have been doing the last thirty years. Obviously, uh, we've done a lot of lobbying work, uh, both at the United Nations in Geneva, and of course with the uh, our federal government in Canada, um, as well as other municipalities and provincial governments, uh, all in the mind of having a uh, trying to form the public opinion of. What's happening in China, and 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 always fighting the battle of trade versus human rights. Um, this always tends to be uh, either or exclusively, uh, but we tend to think that trade can go with human rights and vice versa. So I don't think we've been. That's our message we've been sending to uh, in the uh, in our sort of society right now in Canada. But more importantly uh, is to keep the memory alive. And I want, here I want to quote um, Milan Kundera himself, a Czech writer, uh, who said the struggle of the oppressed versus the powerful is a struggle of memory against forgetting. Um, And uh, to your point, uh, we've been, the chair is a way to, the monument is a way to not forget what Liu Xiaobo has done to the world. Uh, So in that sense, uh, we have been keeping a vigil uh, last 30 years, around June 4th. Every year, we would have our anniversary march and and candlelight vigil to commemorate uh, what happened in Tiananmen Square 30 years ago. Uh, This is something that we have been very successful. Uh, We've been uh, known to be the has the second largest gathering of people on these uh, mem- uh, anniversary events outside of Hong Kong. Uh, of course, pe- the numbers dwindle year by year uh, as people's memory uh, are forgetting or, or people just not too busy to come. But certainly we want to keep the flame alive. Uh, with the Liu Xiaobo cha- Empty Chair, we have commissioned a Canadian sculptor. Ruth um to build a bronze replica of the chair that was on the stage in in Oslo and we're gonna erect it in the city of Ottawa uh, the nation's capital um, and Ruth is a, a, a very well-known Canadian sculptor she's done iconic uh monuments and sculpture, uh, bronze sculpture. Uh, she, she did one for Glenn Gould, uh, in front of, uh, our, our uh, public broadcasters building. Uh, she did one for Oscar Peterson, uh, in Ottawa for the national arts center. And she has also done our goddess of democracy, um, uh, a life-size, uh, uh a bronze sculpture of the uh, Statue of Liberty-like uh, a monument that the students have put up in Tiananmen Square. And we put that into, uh, into one of our universities in, in Toronto. So uh, this is a continued tradition of us trying to keep the memory alive. And we want to make sure uh, this iconic empty chair it's a reminder to the people of not only what Liu Xiaobo has done, but also what freedom of expression is all about. So, to this end, uh, we are teaming up with Amnesty International, uh, PEN Canada, and ourselves. So uh, we are the three of us. Are, uh, uh, we have raised funds from around the world, and 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 uh, uh, we will be erecting this uh, sculpture uh, on August 13th in the city of Ottawa. Uh, We're keeping the location kind of uh, secret right now because in the past the Chinese consulate and the Chinese embassies have always tried to interfere Uh, both um, uh, from a political level of speaking to uh, whoever it might be um, to try to prevent the erection of such a chair to outright damage to anything erected, um, uh, hiring people in the middle of the night to destroy or to to damage the sculpture that we have put up. And here I want to give you a story of uh, uh, what happened with the Chinese, the influence of Chinese government on... Uh, our, our countries, uh, and I'm speaking to about Canada in particular, but certainly the U S is no different. Um, it, back in 1992, four years after the Tiananmen square massacre, we raised enough money to construct a memorial to Tiananmen square. Uh, it was a two ton bronze structure of, uh, broken. Uh, of, of a trampled bicycle, uh, a, a, a bicycle, Chinese bicycle that was crushed by tanks. And on that sculpture, there were tank tracks that we actually took from the Canadian army. And we actually had it, had somebody crush the bicycle and, and make, make it into a sculpture. And that has remained a central piece of our annual commemoration uh, every year around this, uh, around June 4th, we would go to that place and have our candlelight visual. After we put that up, uh, as we were putting it up, uh, the Chinese consulate in Toronto, uh, we were putting up at uh, with the student council of the University of Toronto. So the Chinese consulate called the president of the University of Toronto and say, hey, you cannot allow this to go up. Because if you do, um, there will be consequences, uh, you will not only damage Sino-Canadian relationship, but you will also hurt your chances of, for example, sending your professors on field trips to China or, you know, having, uh, any more exchanges between China and, and, and Canada. Uh, spe- specifically University of Toronto. But the president of University of Toronto at that time was very smart. He, uh, he kind of said, well, in general, we do not interfere with the affairs of our student council. These are student affairs that the university president has no right to interfere. So in one word, he summarized exactly what happened in Tiananmen Square. Uh, these were student protests and, uh, they will have every right to do that. And, and you should listen to them. So, so in that sense. Uh, uh it was a, a chapter in one of our long history of, of, of uh, uh, trying to be a watchdog over the uh, democ- democ- democratic development and, and human rights in China.
0: Great American architect Frank Lloyd Wright once said that uh, one of the major features of any building, any sculpture, is the tactile feel that people have when they touch it. Is this... Empty chair going to be something that is available to personal visceral relationship with with the observer, or will it be because of the circumstances of security, be visible and yet removed from the person observing?
1: Well, we actually want it to be like what Frank Lloyd Wright said. Uh, We want people to sit there. We want people to be uh, you know to reflect upon situation. Uh we have a quote um carved into the uh uh granite base of the sculpture. Uh basically freedom of expression is f- fundamental of all the human rights in French, English and Chinese. Uh but more more so we want it to be a tactile monument that people can touch and feel and climb up to the chair. Uh we encourage people to sit there. In fact, uh, we were installing the, uh, looking at the uh, m- making the foundation that, that uh, just last week. Uh, we were thinking about how how sh- we should make it easier for people to climb up there, and not have to you know take a big step or uh, um, and, and so forth. So yes, we we are we're trying to make this a living monument. Uh, we will also have uh, um, explanation of what. Liu Xiaobo, who Liu was, what his ideas
0: were. Is there going to be any effort by your organization to keep Lu Xiaobo's writings alive, special commemorations at libraries, at universities, shelves, and treatises put out that uh, apostatize his views? He wrote a beautiful sentence. He had the ability to present thoughts in the way of words Mm -hmm. that not everyone does. Will there be an effort by your organization to promulgate and express that?
1: Uh, There won't be. um, Just for a very simple reason, we don't have the resources, uh, first of all. But I'm sure a lot of people around the world, um, including his wife, Liu who is now in uh, Germany, uh, in exile, Uh, I'm sure that uh, there will be lots of scholars, lots of institutions that will be preserving his legacy. We're doing our little part uh, to raise enough money to put up a a sculpture um, that is a permanent sculpture uh, in Canada, at least to to commemorate that. Uh, There are lesser sculptures right now, and I know that we're in Vancouver. Uh, we casted a, a smaller sculpture uh, for Vancouver's uh, for our counterpart in Vancouver, but this is the, by far the the biggest uh, uh, and the more expensive uh, um, monument that we have as as we know it in in Canada.
0: You've mentioned not having the resources to do everything you'd like. One certainly can commiserate with that. For those in the listening audience who have an interest in some way in assisting, in contacting you, in taking advantage of your resources, how might they do, go about doing that? How might they do so? What advice well, can you give them?
1: Uh, We're on website tadc.ca, TADCSN Toronto Association for Democracy in China.ca. Our Facebook at Toronto T A D C, so all one word Toronto T A D C. Uh, that's our Facebook uh, account. everyone's uh, everyone's welcome. Um, I I believe our Twitter account is also Toronto T A D C. Uh, so everyone is welcome to uh, uh, come to our come to our, our site or our Facebook account. And, and, and commiserate and share with us. Uh, we, uh, we have always had a fairly international um, kind of following. Uh, we work closely with our counterparts in Hong Kong and in New York and in uh, Washington, LA uh, and uh, three, uh, three other cities in, in the US and Canada. Uh, We have a coalition um, looking at uh, a common kind of goal, of objective of uh, trying to lobby the U.S. and the Canadian governments to uh, pay more attention to uh, what's happening in China and to hopefully uh, affect or influence China in a positive way. Uh, This is something that we would love to do. Uh, We would love for the U.S. government and the Canadian governments. Uh, to do
0: that. Chuck, we're within a minute and a half of what has been a a marvelous hour. Hopefully we can do it again in the future. In point of fact, uh, are there any ambitions that the organization does have, any plans for the future? And I know it's rather uh, perhaps inane to say, postulate that in a minute, but can you leave the listeners with your plans for tomorrow?
1: Well, uh, what we can do uh, we're, we're a very small group uh, we don't have a lot of volunteers we uh, we depend on on uh, uh, fundraising to conduct a lot of activities, but every time we call or uh, we announce something there there is also a good, good response so we're just hoping to um, make our own little piece of legacy uh, in this whole wide world of as you mentioned, the rise of the right-wing authoritarian regimes uh, in the world, and, and um, uh, I want to quote uh, uh, Wei Shen uh, the other one, uh, the other famous uh, dissident uh, who is always known as the father of democracy in China. Uh, he's living in Washington, D.C. right now, but when he was in prison, he was in prison for 15 years. Uh, he always told me that when I was in prison in China, and when I found out about all of you out there doing some things, he said, "Don't ever underestimate the, the effect that you have uh, doing things outside so many miles from me." Uh, every single flame, every single candle flame, uh, gives me hope in prison that I will, we will prevail somehow. Uh, and this is something that I've always uh, hold very dear to. I think we can all do our little piece. uh, We may not be able to move the earth or change the society. But I think uh, together, if everybody can hold up a candle uh, to bring some light, shed some light to what's happening in China, then I think we can accomplish a lot.
0: Our guest has been Xiaquan, the past chairperson of the Toronto Association for Democracy in China. We are certainly open to any response from the listening audience. We appreciate, uh, Chuck, your being on the program. This is. Thank
1: you, Bob. Thank you for having me.
0: Our pleasure. I can assure you, the program is seldom said. My name is Robert. Be with us again next time.